The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, From Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacypiracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about security breaches and cybersecurity, and we have heard about all these various security breaches that have affected literally millions of people, whether it's Target or Neiman Marcus or uh, Comcast or whatever. We keep hearing about all these things, and we have a wonderful expert coming to us from Washington, D.C. this morning, and she is terrific. Let me tell you a little bit about Jody Westby. Uh, She has more than 20 years of technical, legal, policy, and business experience. And Jody provides consulting and legal services to public and private sector clients around the world in the areas of privacy, which we always love to talk about, security, cybercrime, breach management, and IT governance. She also serves as an adjunct professor to the Georgia Institute of Technology School of Computer Science, and she's an adjunct distinguished fellow to Carnegie Mellon Scilab, and she's a professional blogger for Forbes. That's actually how I found her. I was reading one of her blogs, which is Don't Be a Cyber Target, a primer for boards and senior management. And we're going to talk about that in just a few minutes because we have all these CEOs that drive by and these students at the university and professors that want to know about this. Jody Westby is a member of the legal bars of the District of Columbia, Pennsylvania and Colorado, and she serves as chair of the American Bar Association's Privacy and Computer Crime Committee, uh, which is the section of science and technology law, which I'm a member of and get to see her writing on there. She also co-chaired the World Federation of Scientists, WFS, permanent monitoring panel on information security and served on the ITU Secretary General's high-level experts group on uh, cybersecurity. You can find out more about her on our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy and also on her website at globalcyberrisk.com. Jody, thank you so much for joining us this morning. We're thrilled to have you on with us. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure. Well, you know, we've been reading every day on, in the headlines about cyber breaches of personally identifiable or private information. Are we entering a new era of cybercrime and privacy risk? What's going on? Well, I don't know that it's a new era. Uh, the bad guys have been winning for a long time, and um, it's, it's uh, becoming a, a runaway ball game at this point. Um, the 
it's always hard to judge on this. What, and, the, and the only way people really have any measure is by the headlines. And so the Target headline, the Neiman Marcus, the Comcast breach, the difference here is not that it's in the headlines. It's how the headlines are getting there, and they're getting there through third parties. Um, it's through Brian Krebs. It's through um, other news media that they're reporting that somebody has been hacked. And so that has been a major breakthrough um, where before reporters were somewhat reluctant to call out a company and say they've been breached. Um, but the, these, the malware and the attacks are extraordinarily sophisticated. They morph. They are really ingenious in the way these criminals are attacking companies. So there's not any one, two, three, or five, or ten set methods. There's a number of different um, approaches to attack a company. It's very difficult for companies to keep up with all of that and the sophistication of the malware. But I do think that we're seeing a real run on personal identifiable information and that is threatening the privacy of individuals. Yes, and it, it's it's not just the privacy. It's there. A, it's a quite a bit of identity theft, which is something that I'm really familiar with. That is kind of my domain. So, how else do do these breaches impact the individuals? What are what are you thinking? Is um, what does it do to our society? It's really a tragic. Uh, situation. It's something that I have been concerned about for a long time. When you look at the statistics of street crime, and then you look at the statistics of cyber crime, if we had the rise in street crime, like robbery, burglaries, armed robberies, murders, if we had the rise in what I'll call quote-unquote traditional crime, at the rate we got, we have seen the rise in cybercrime, Americans would be running down Main Street in every city in the country. Yes. And, and because identity theft and cybercrimes are sort of an invisible crime, nobody's really been making much noise about it. And the result of that is, sadly, the cost of this crime is on the backside of whoever is breached, whether that's you and me as an individual, Target as a company, or Mr. and Mrs. Mom and Pop, you know, grocery store on the corner. Right. It, is, it is on the back of the victim, and it is extremely expensive. Yes. So how are these companies handling these breaches? You know, we don't read such good stuff about it in the newspaper, and, and I read Brian Krebs all the time. I, I get his uh, newsletter by email. So uh, how would you uh, say that they're handling these breaches? Um, overall, and this is a general statement, um, I've not been impressed at all. Um, I believe that what, what we've seen in the way the companies have responded to these recent breaches is it, it shows that they do not have tested and well-coordinated incident response plan. They are keeping things very close to the vest. There has been so much talk in Washington about, oh, public-private information sharing. It's so important. We have to have legislation to improve this. 
here's the perfect opportunity. Yeah. We're not getting any information out of Target about what's happened. It's all come from third sources, primarily. Mm-hmm. We are not getting any assistance from those of us even in the field to know how to advise other clients to protect themselves. So while Target is keeping their cards close to the vest, they're, ri- they're putting every other retailer and every other business with a point-of-sale system at risk or every other business that might be hit by this malware, and the malware could be targeting confidential and proprietary information as well as personally identifiable information. Right. And so they are not um, responding in a way that shows they really care about their customers. There were numerous people that called Target that got a very unsatisfactory response initially. Um, when, when you look at how Comcast recently handled their breach, it just goes to show that the, the boards and the senior management are not managing this as an enterprise risk, or we would not see the sort of uh, lack of care toward the customer, lack of care toward the investor. Um, the Chicago Mercantile Exchange had a, a breach last year that really wasn't anything that was too well publicized, but the Wall Street Journal just last week had an article about how their earnings showed a hit that they took from that cyber attack. Yes. So it's something that is, is, is not being managed appropriately, I think, because the, the information isn't being shared with the customers, with those of us in the security industry, with others in the same industry sector, or other companies who might be vulnerable to the same kind of attack. And the second part of this is the fault of the FBI and the law enforcement involved. Because there are these little reports coming out of, well, they've said 10 other um, companies have been hit, but, there's, but they, won't, they haven't been identified yet. Hmm. If law enforcement knows information about these breaches, they can sanitize that information. They can anonymize it and present it in a form that is, um, going to help everybody else protect themselves. But if they think that it's a better deal to keep everything super secret so they can go chase a cyber criminal while they're putting everybody else at risk, I disagree with that philosophy. Yes. You know, in California, you know, our security breach legislation allows for certain um, companies to delay disclosure only if law enforcement can prove that there's a need not to disclose it. Okay, for example, like if they think it's a dirty employee or something right. like that. But now they've they've really pushed harder on that here in California to say, hey, you know what, at least you need to tell them what types of information was stolen. Was it just credit cards or was it social security numbers along with birthdays, along with account numbers? Because that is... You know, they can at least tell what is stolen so that the consumers and the victims can do something to to at least address that in a, you know, a timely fashion. So I'm with you 100 percent. That's exactly right. You know, I saw when I really love this article. That's why I tore it out and found you. Um, and the name of it is uh, Don't Be a Cyber Target, a Primer for Boards and Senior Management. I think this is a perfect time to talk about some of these things. And I noticed that you had uh, stated in here about the Poneman Institute's 2013 cost of a data breach. I'm, I'm a fellow with the Poneman Institute, and every year he's been doing this study, 
And they, you know, I thought it was interesting that you had put in there that the cost for the U.S. is at $188 per record stolen. So if we're talking about millions of records stolen, that is a huge cost. If you're talking about 110 million records from Target, we're, we're talking about $20 billion, right? It's crazy. Yeah, it, it exceeds their market cap. But, but of course, those numbers are just those numbers. And, right. And, and um, Larry has done, Ponneman has done a great job in, in bringing this kind of data to the forefront, and it's accepted as the number to look at for, you know, estimating the cost of data breach. But at some point, there are also two or economies of scale. Right, but, right. But the, the fact is, it is a very expensive um, it is a very expensive incident to suffer, especially if you're an individual. I think this is this is from memory. I think that the cost per individual on the average is somewhere can be somewhere up to ten thousand dollars per incident in trying to deal with a, a case of identity theft. Oh yeah, and it can cost more if someone has also done things like gotten, um, you know, committed crimes in their your name, or has gotten medical benefits or IRS benefits. There's yeah, it's it's crazy, but you know, I wanted to ask you. I thought this was really great. I wanted to ask you about some of the things since we are in like uh, you know in in Irvine here. We have a lot of CEOs that drive by that are in this area. We're we're right near are the little. Uh, Aliso Viejo, which is like the Silicon Valley of, of Orange County. So we have a lot of people driving by, and then we have big business schools. So let's talk about some of the things that you had in this great article that you wrote. Um, let's talk about right, you know, what the managers and the um, and the boards should be doing. Okay, that that is great. The first thing is the boards really need to understand that this is an issue that they must treat as a governance issue and not something that they can say, have the IT guy come give us a report on this board agenda, and they even if they do that once or twice a year, that is not adequate. Right. They tell me when I start asking questions, um, oh, yes, we take security very seriously. Oh, of course. Oh, of course we pay attention to this. But then I start drilling down on some of the best practices. Do you review the budgets of the security program? No. Do you review what the what the security um, CISO asked for versus what they were given? No. Do you review um, the results of cyber assessments? No. Uh, it, on the, and the list goes on. Yeah. And and so they are basically aware and asking interested questions and maybe having some IT report that does not answer their questions. It's whatever the IT people put together who are, not, who are known and notoriously known for not being able to communicate very well with the C-suite. And, and so the first thing is the boards just have to understand that this is a real risk to companies. And I think that more than anything, the target breach is, is, is helping get that point across. But the second thing is they need to understand their roles and responsibilities. They really do have roles and responsibilities for this. And it's not something they can shove off on the audit committee. This should be a risk committee function, and it should be on the agenda and awareness of the entire board because the entire company is at risk. 
Right. We have Target now that's been hit with a derivative shareholder suit for not adequately protecting their systems and network. Right, right. So they, and the other thing they need to realize is, in during these investigations now, some forensic investigators, and they almost always have to hire people in the field that have teams of of, of experience and, and expert investigators who are capable of investigating the sophisticated threat. They need to have their own trusted advisor advising them and guiding them through this because they, it, the, what does the general counsel do? They call their outside expertise, right? Right, right. The board should call their outside trusted cyber advisor to help guide them through this because typically in companies, the CISO has not gotten the budget they need I, every CISO I know tries very hard to have very good security, yes. but they don't have very good support within their organization. Well, but because it's not, it's not a profit center. So, you know, the marketing department is going to get a lot more money than the security department because that's the profit center, right? Right. Well, they don't see the ROI, not, ROI on it. But what happens is when something bad happens, Everybody turns to that person and says, why did you let this happen? Right. Or didn't you do this right? And so if it's really bad, there's every incentive for the CISO to not reveal the extent of how bad this is. Right, right. And, And the board needs to know precisely what they, what they're looking at. And, and there's other things because when you start getting a state attorneys generals, consumer protection agencies, law enforcement involved, then real questions start coming up about your security program. Right. And that's something, even if you're talking to the forensic investigator directly and saying, telling me straight what you're finding out, the forensic investigator doesn't have a clue what the security program looks like. So, so the boards really need to make sure that they have their own trusted advisor who's sorting through, sifting through, working with the teams on the ground. And, and a lot of us have the expertise with the research community, too, to, to touch back and really get um, information, inside information about the current threats and advise that company. Otherwise, they're just flying blind. Right, right. What about cyber insurance? Well, that's very interesting. So one of the things that I've done with... Um, with uh, one of the largest uh, insurance brokerages is, is developed a product where an offering where, where we are actually, um, I go out and do the cyber evaluation part, and then they do a valuation part. And so they take my findings and calculate business interruption and business exposure cost. And what it really does is reduce cybersecurity to dollar signs. And yes. that helps the senior executives understand how to view cybersecurity, and it makes them more willing to view it. They, they're they kind of like kids with math and science. Of, Ick, I don't want to touch that stuff. I don't want to be a geek. But if you reduce it to dollar signs, they're used to dealing with that, and they're very comfortable dealing with that and making decisions around that. And so the cyber insurance marketplace is a high-growth area. It's a tiny, tiny space of the insurance market, but... Now risk managers are starting to pay attention to it, and um, the problem right now is there's an array of offerings. Nobody really knows what they cover, 
and nobody really knows how much coverage they need. So, um, you know, putting valuations on things help people work through those decisions, but but we're, there's still a gap and a ways to go in getting the risk managers and the senior executives to really understand what risk they need to cover with cyber insurance and what they don't. They don't need cyber insurance for everything. Right. So it's a new market, but it's going to continue to grow, and especially as these threats are covering intellectual property and people are seeing more first-party losses versus just third-party type losses from breaches and, and impacted victims. Yeah, and Jody, you know, from the ones that some of the cyber insurance that I've seen and, and I've done some consulting, the the thing that you have done, which has been very helpful, is you do an evaluation. And a lot of these uh, these insurance policies require that you have certain things done, which then really helps the the security officers and the IT people because then they have to be up to speed for you even to get that cyber insurance, right? They, well... That's what I've seen, at least. Um, in let the... me kind of um, stray off the reservation here a little bit, talk okay. out of school a little bit. Um, okay. I don't think the underwriting process in the cyber risk market is very rigorous at this point. I think companies are basically trying to get market share. Mm. But um, if a company goes through an evaluation and an assessment and actually makes informed decisions and looks at what they have, then we identify gaps and deficiencies. And I can tell you that that will get them a better rate with insurance companies because the companies do recognize who's doing something. Exactly. And so that can really pay off and be a positive step. And, And the other thing is even when the boards and senior executives start saying, oh, we want a third party to come in and help us and advise us, Instead of feeling threatened, the CIOs and CISOs should be jumping for joy because we're all going to say, give them the money they need. Right, right. So you're their ally. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Now, how about um, the communication? Like, especially these big companies, you know, we've we've seen a lot of uh, n- poor communication with some of these breaches. So what about having a communication person to assist when there is a breach? It's terribly important. Um, there are some companies who really have expertise in crisis communications. Um, several of us, you know, my company and others, we have actually relationships with these people. And what happens, however, and I've, I've seen it happen in breaches I've been involved with, the company finally gets the communications person involved, and they want to work with their PR shop they're used to dealing with. Right. Well, the PR shop they're used to dealing with may not be equipped and experienced in dealing with something like what Target's dealing with right now. Right. It's foreign. And I don't know who their PR firm is or how they're doing that, so I'm not making a pointed comment. But, right, right. But um, crisis communications should be, there should be not only an incident response plan, but a crisis communications plan because there are communications that have to go out to investors regulators, state attorneys generals, to employees, uh, to customers. And there's, there's usually a different person delivering each of those messages. And having coordination and understanding what to say. And, and there's also something that I've seen that I will just say on the show, which is, 
there is almost an instinctive reaction in a breach to want to cover it up. And I am always at my clients saying, you must be open. You must state what happened and really push them to do that. So having the the crisis communications expertise is, is as critical as having the right forensic investigation team. Yes, yes. Being transparent, and and that is, you know, when people, people can forgive. I know uh, Larry Poneman has done studies about when the company does the proper communication, when they reach out, when they try and help their customers, that that there's a lot of forgiveness by the consumer. There is, and and I think generally everybody understands that security is not perfect. There's no such thing as perfect security that stuff can happen and somebody can have a breach. But when people have handled it appropriately, you're right. The, the, the people have looked at it and said, well, I'm sorry this happened to you and thanks for letting me know. Yes. Yep, exactly. I wanted to switch gears a little bit because we've heard so much about Edward Snowden and about the NSA surveillance. And I wanted to get your take on this. Let's explore a little bit about how you feel about those disclosures about what the NSA has been doing in the metadata. Well, um, thanks for moving into this space, because between the breaches and the surveillance, privacy is at greater risk, I think, than any time since um, the Internet uh, was released to four commercial providers. And based by Snowden, first of all, let me dispel this notion that NSA has tried to perpetuate, which is that it's only metadata. It's only harmless metadata. Right, right. I can tell you that anybody in the cybersecurity research community will tell you metadata is more valuable than content. Absolutely. And so that has been a, a complete attempt to try to dumb down what, what was first revealed with Verizon. But... What has come after that, and I had another Forbes blog on this about the scandal that no one's investigating the NSA, is when you look at the series of drip, drip, drip revelations from Snowden, we're talking content. We're talking voice over Internet protocol content. We're talking emails, photos, videos, um, chats. Um, We're talking massive pools of data that... The NSA has teams of algorithm writers. They have supercomputer centers. They have the most massive computing capability of any entity in the United States or world. And to think, and, and, and their capabilities of taking those data pools and correlating them and analyzing them and merging them and pulling out threads of information is simply more than the average American understands. So... Snowden has revealed a tremendous amount of, I think, overreach by NSA. And none of this has been shown to be proving to be deterrent to terrorist activities. Right, right. And, and so, to me, it's, it's really one of the greatest threats in the American history to our democratic process and civil liberties that the people came across the Atlantic Ocean and, and established this country so that they would have those freedoms. And, and my concern is stopping the genie. He's halfway out of the bottle. 
Yes. But if the genie gets out of the bottle and you're in a complete police state, there's no putting it back. Nobody ever relinquishes that. The things we know in history and through all kinds of, of different um, um, scientific studies, analysis, incidents in history, is when the temptation's there, it will be used. And so the abuses to use this information is also a real concern. And I, if, but if we stop it, then the data will become stale and people could go on. But my concern is no one is really investigating it. No one knows. No one knows really what's happening other than what has been released. And what has been released is shocking. Well, I, I hate to end on a sad note like that, but I think we have to. We have to then get people to uh, continue to read your blog on Forbes because you're wonderful because we are out of time. <laughs> I hate to end on a sad and depressing note like that, but I, I'm, I'm 100% with you. And I'm, I'm, I'm thankful that I can have you on the show to talk about this and have other people talk about this because hopefully we will raise that consciousness and have, you know, our our senators and our Congress do something about this. So I want to thank you so much and send people to globalcyberrisk.com. Jody Westby, you're wonderful, and I hope to get to see you in D.C. I hope so, too, and thank you so much. Okay, you're terrific. Bye-bye. Bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM and Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 830 and visit our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy and write us about what concerns you about the NSA spine. Thanks. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.